Friends, what follows is not for the faint of heart. We bring you tales of the paranormal, human wickedness, the curious, and the bizarre. Please, if you continue, proceed with caution and an open mind. We are the Queen City Creeps. Hello and welcome to Queen City Creeps, your new favorite podcast for all things true crime, paranormal, and just a little bit weird. I am Sarah and I'm here with Shelby. Hello. Jennifer. Hey. And we are picking up where we left off last week with the old uh, story of Aleister Crowley, his weird cults, and uh, love of sex magic. It's pretty exciting. So, to kick it off, we're going to ask an icebreaker question, which we still have not figured out a good name for. Again, if you got one, hit us up. Um, The question of the evening is, what is the weirdest place you've ever had sex? Okay, well, again... Not a risk taker, <laughs> as you guys know. So, literally, I've only had sex in a bed or a couch. <laughs> I know, like, that sounds really boring, right? What, what about, like, a chair? No. Like a kitchen chair? No. Was the couch in the back of an El Camino at the time? No. Was it on a front porch? No. Was it on a back porch? No. <sighs> I don't have por- I don't have couches on my porch. <laughs> Not that like redneck. Was the bed in the back of a van? No. Wow. That's, I'm sorry, guys. I'm really sad for you. I'm sorry too. I'm, I'm kind of sad myself after I think about it. <laughs> I've always wanted to have sex in a car, but it just never this never happened, guys. Never coalesced for you. Yeah, that's sad. Here's what you do: whenever you get home tonight, you write a list of the places you want to bone. And you make it like a, a, a bucket list. I'm actively agreeing but, with this. But what places are good? If you will. What places are like recommended by you guys that have tried it? I have only ever had sex in one place that I did not enjoy. And it was on the beach, which everybody seems to think is so great. No, it's not. All no. of a sudden your asshole's full of sand. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that one. Don't do mm-hmm. that. Don't do yeah, that. So that's out. But yeah. pretty much anywhere else, like literally any you flat surface. You don't want to do like the ocean or like a pool or something like that because they're that, like that the, a pool would be kind of sexy no because the, there's then, lubrication issues uh, yeah uh, the chlorine kind of dries things out a bit it doesn't really also you get like pool water and it, up you can in just your get, bit yeah in your lady <laughs> bit <laughs> <laughs> okay so as far as sex goes i have had sex in a car there you go i've had sex in the middle of a field like which, on the grass um it was in like the back part of a car like, okay hatch open type situation um, I have never had full-on intercourse in this location, but I have messed around on top of the state capitol. Oh. Yep. Yep. In the, the, there's like a turret on the outside. So, that's probably the, the craziest place. Well, my story sucks now. Sorry. That's yeah, fine. My... There's oh, a, Shelby, your stories no, never suck. No. Let's be real. That, no, there's there's a list, though. That's the thing. Like, you asked me what the weirdest place was, and I'm like, I don't know. Like, well, tell we, us all of them. Can we just... <laughs> so we need a 20-minute intro. We don't have time. <laughs> we're just top gonna, five. We're just going to do a David Letterman's weirdest top five. ten. <laughs> uh, the one that immediately came to mind was on the altar at a Catholic church. Whoa! Uh, not with the priest, mind you. Yeah, was... I was kind of nervous for you, because you grew up Catholic. Yeah, I did. This, this was, <laughs> I was like, uh, Shelby? This was probably about the time I realized I wasn't really welcome there anymore, actually. <laughs> was it with a nun? It was not with a nun. Okay. No, it was, it was, uh, actually, I, man, I've had a lot of sex in churches. 
What that the just fuck? occurred to me. Where does that even come up as an opportunity? At one point, I was actually dating a uh, dating a uh, <laughs> receptionist at uh, a well-known mega church in the area. Oh no! Oh. And uh, yeah. And her thing was boning and in the church, boning it in the church. Are you boning drunk? in the church? Yeah, that was that. That was <laughs> an exciting time. Um, I had sex in a car while going through an automatic car wash. That's not doesn't last that long to be maybe, in an automatic car wash. No judgment. Maybe Shelby doesn't last that that's long. That's valid. No, that I don't know. I don't was, know your life. It was it was like later at night, so we kind of just sat at the end of it for a little oh, while. Okay. Oh, right. Because no one else was like behind us. At least that was. That how was does that even news. like okay. happen? Like how does that like? How can hey, Jennifer, you know what? How, like let's have sex right now. Let like I would just wanted to get my car washed, but like I want other things touched. I don't know. <laughs> so don't Jennifer know. wants to know how to initiate sex in a car. No, in a car wash. <laughs> How the fuck does that happen? Your level of anger about all this is just wonderful. I'm just curious just how like, that comes about. Like, okay, this seems like an opportune time to do this. I, I literally got on the weird little boot thing that like pulls you through the car wash and yeah. then got my bits grabbed. And I was like, okay. It's happening. That's literally huh. how that went. Interesting. Yep, big fan of car washes now. Actually, okay. Huh. Do you, do you get a boner every time you go through a car wash? I actually don't use the automatic ones anymore <laughs> <laughs> because of the boner situation. You know, it's been so long since I've done it. I don't remember if that's why or not. Actually, <laughs> huh? I'm, I'm a hand washer guy. I don't know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> cool. That wasn't awkward at all. <laughs> all right. I'm going to call it good on your I, sex magic I stories. I think it's fine. My, my sex magic has at least been documented now, so that's great. Great. <laughs> okay, so last week we talked about the beginnings of Aleister Crowley and kind of how all of his mojo got started. If you have not listened to that episode yet, the one that came out last week, you need to go back and listen to it. And I'm going to pause for a second. magic i'm gonna assume that you have already listened to that so shelby please pick up on our sex magic extravaganza well last time what i had kind of ended with was really the start of sex magic with alistair crowley and the ordo templi orientalis that he had become the the head of at this Mm -hmm. point so they had already done some experimenting with the idea of sex magic but he was ready to crank it the fuck up yeah so Again, his his writings on the subject are ridiculously in-depth, and, and there's all kinds of rituals and significance to it. And officially, the name of sex magic in Aleister Crowley's world is erotocomatose lucidity, mm-hmm. which is not nearly as cool-sounding. It's not as sexy-sounding yeah. I've, I've never also, heard... Also, comatose? Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll get to that part. Okay. It's, it's not sleeping through it. It's sleeping kind of after it. But oh. Yeah, Okay. Anyway, but the, the basics of this whole thing are really straightforward. So the person preparing to undergo the spiritual journey... Goes through some basic physical and athletic training and does some feasting. Oh, feasting. Oh. Yeah, so you hop on the treadmill, you eat a ham, and then you're <laughs> ready for action. Gotta have that energy, man. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Not boning on an empty stomach. But then during the ritual, it's up to a couple of attendants. The more experienced they are, the better. Oh, I see. Yeah. Again, I think I might be thalamic. I'm not really certain. Um, 
So it's up to a couple of attendants that are hopefully pretty experienced to exhaust him sexually by every known means. Oh my. What? Every known means? Every known means. Jennifer, they're not just doing it in a bed and on a couch. Right. For sure not. They they did it on a couch that was on fire, I assume. They wanted to get all all the adrenaline out of this they possibly could. (laughs) So the goal is to suspend the person somewhere between sleep and arousal. Okay. So not like falling asleep while doing it, but like orgasming basically like drifting into the middle ground there between sleep and and still being turned on by everything around you or whatever. Okay. The, the 19 people in the room or whatever the case might be. Yeah. So according to Crowley, it exhausts the body and exhilarates the spirit. And when the person reaches a state when they're not awake and they're aware that they're not asleep, their spirit is free to experience the most divine of other spirits. Okay. So the whole idea of this is to reach enlightenment. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what he was really going for was the... You're boning towards the light. You are you are boning straight into God's house. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like something that's up your alley, Shelby. So supposedly these principles are are ancient. I mean, they're they're kind of like alchemy, where the energy in the body is transformed into the energy of the divine. So Crowley's idea of it combines the erotic with a state of both heightened awareness and unconsciousness, and a lot of his focus was on the conservation of the sacred, the divine, and the energy that was stored not only in the human body but in bodily fluids. How do you feel All about that? All those fluids, man. There's a bunch more than I ever expected, by the way. <laughs> oh. There were a bunch that I didn't even think of whenever I was re- researching this initially. But, so basically he's got a free license to bone and get boned and then fall asleep. Mm-hmm. He had this figured out pretty well, I think. He did. Like. He, had a, he had a good plan going. So in the most extreme and the most divine cases, he stated that there was only one end to the performance of an episode of erotocomatous lucidity, while some ended in failure to achieve enlightenment. Mm-hmm. We've all had those nights. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and others ended reaching that divinity. Uh, some of these cases ended in death during orgasm. Wait, what? what? Yeah. What the fuck are you <laughs> doing when you're dying? <laughs> It's all that ham. By every, <laughs> by every known means, Jennifer. Shit. Every known means. Remember that time we talked about autoerotic asphyxiation? Oh, true. Yeah. It's kind of like that, but with other people holding the belt. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, God. So that was actually called the Morse Justy, and that he wrote that that was the best ultimate way to die, which, obviously, this is not news. That's oh true. my! Dying mid orgasm sounds like the way to go. There, there are very few times that I am just at a loss for words. Yeah, I feel I'll, like I'll I can like, get there. I usually like get up and go smoke a cigarette afterwards. Like I'm not exhausted enough, apparently, to yeah. see the face of God. So. You need to try. <laughs> Maybe I just need more attendance. Evidently, that's the case. Yeah. So he he identified sex as the most powerful force in life and the supreme source of magical power. Because once you've had sex magic, you can't go back. Yeah. And he made explicit use of the most deviant sex acts, which were masturbation and homosexuality at the time. Hmm. Both of those were actually illegal in at this time. Wait, hold on. Masturbation? Did. How would Was you know? Legal? Well, I guess you're doing it on a street corner. Like, I've seen some people. Well, yeah. Well, well yeah. But that's illegal now. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but no, like, Victorian England was real weird about about jerking it. They did not like that in the least. And basically, you'd be, like, publicly shunned if people figured out that you masturbated. 
Wow. Huh. Or stoned to death, because it was also a witch thing, from what I understand. What? Yeah, only witches like to masturbate, apparently. Who knew? I'd be in trouble for like showing... they like fun. Okay, cool. <laughs> right, they just know how to live. I'd be in trouble <laughs> exactly. for showing my ankles right now. Also true. And, like, all your lady bits. I'm not showing so. any of my lady bits. I am sitting crisscross applesauce on Shelby's couch in a dress. A and very my bits short are covered. Dress. Thank get, you. Get your bits off my couch. <laughs> So those were both, uh, masturbation and homosexuality were both central components in this magical practice as well. Because you can't just have 14 ways. You can also just jerk your way to spiritual enlightenment, which is great. I mean, it's you really can, good to know. You don't have to have attendance? You, that's kind of what I understand of it. It sounds like there are multiple rituals, some of which ah. involve masturbation, some of which involve multiple partners, homosexuality, wh- whatever. Yeah, okay. Bodily fluids. We've, we've gotten into that very, very slightly. We'll get way deeper here in a minute. Okay. <laughs> way deeper. <clears throat> so... British society was not a fan of either of those things because as an industrial society, sex was basically linked to a means of production. Mm-hmm. It was another way of, of making things, which is really hard to do when a dude bangs another dude. Yeah, yeah. it is. So he also was one of the only, one of the first Western authors to take any interest in Hindu and Buddhist traditions of the Tantra, which we talked about a little bit last time. While he was in India and had malaria, he had plenty of time to study the fine art of boning. Mm-hmm. So... The there's obviously a lot more to Tantra than that, and they kind of argue that maybe he didn't really understand it that well. He just kind of took the parts that he liked, yeah, and, and brought those specifically in. tantric sex. Yeah, that was yeah. his that was his big <laughs> thing. But those those teachings kind of center in in part at least around the use of sexual energy as a source of spiritual power. So it's still connected to everything that he's done up to this point. Mm-hmm. And he actually wrote in again the Confessions of Aleister Crowley, a book that we talked about last time that the main reasons for the violence and turmoil of the modern world lies in the repression of the sexual instinct, and conversely, the surest way to solve our contemporary problem lies in its liberation. Huh. Sometimes this guy says some stuff, and I'm like, yeah. That makes sense. Perfect. <laughs> uh-huh. And then in, uh, so this is actually in the Book of the Law. Well, I'm sorry, it was still in Confessions, but he's talking about the Book of the Law, because right. Confessions was written afterwards. He says, the book of the law solves the sexual problem completely. Each individual has an absolute right to satisfy his sexual instinct as is physiologically physiologically proper for him. Obviously, this is is dude wording. Yeah. Yeah, every man has a right to reach the sexual enlightenment. We're not going to talk about who else has to be there for it or whatever. Is this going to be one of those times that you feel bad you have a penis? (laughs) Honestly, not as bad as (laughs) I should, probably, for this one. So, in his... In his revised system of the OTO, once he took it over and made it a thelemic organization, mm-hmm. they originally had nine degrees, which are kind of just their, their tenets, effectively. Okay. And he actually expanded those to 11. Um, so the 8th, ninth, and 11th of these focused on more explicitly transgressive sexual rights of more masturbatory and homosexual intercourse. That was, that was the purpose of these other three things that he added to it that were so important. Mm-hmm. And then, so Peter Koenig actually wrote a, a biographic of, of Crowley, and he yeah. kind of summarizes these upper degrees. So I'm going to read a section of that. Uh, Crowley's eighth degree unveiled that masturbating on a sigil of a demon or meditating upon the image of a phallus would bring power or communication with a divine being. The ninth degree was labeled heterosexual intercourse, where the sexual secrets were sucked out of the vagina and, when not consumed, put on a sigil to attract this or that demon to fulfill the pertinent wish. Okay. <laughs> okay. That was number nine or number ten? That was number nine. So number nine, he's looking out for the ladies. He actually is, yeah. for, for once. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. 
And uh, in the eleventh degree, the most the mostly homosexual degree, one identifies oneself with an ejaculating penis. The blood or excrements from anal intercourse attract the spirits or demons, while the sperm keeps them alive. Oh! Oh! Suddenly, we're not as into this. <laughs> we're all forgetting secrets sucked out of our vaginas. But once we start talking about the blood involved in anal intercourse, not fun anymore. No. No. <laughs> Sorry, Shelby. I can find then. <laughs> so there's also a quote from Crowley about his 11th degree. I think this was also in Confessions. Mm-hmm. Um, it says, What I tell you must be kept with great secrecy. This must not be given to just anyone. It must only be given to a devoted disciple. It but be- I'm going to put it in a fucking book. Yeah, I'm going to write it down. Yeah. No one's buying his books. <laughs> if liberation could be attained simply by having intercourse with a female partner, then all living beings in the world would be liberated just by having intercourse with women. So he's he's advocating every last bit of that 11th degree. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's into it. Hmm. So he also kind of inherited this Orientalist identification of Tantra with, with sex. He he likened Tantra almost entirely to sex, which isn't everything by any means. It's actually mm-hmm. a pretty small portion of what Tantra actually is from what I've read about it. Have um, you done a lot of reading about Tantra? Actually, quite a bit, yeah. Interesting. I told you. I wow, Sarah, in, you were trying to be sassy, and he just... He's like, actually, actually, I, I, you, I have. I told you I read like a lot of religious texts growing up, because I was true. trying to find my way, and Tantra obviously was one where I'm like, hmm. I can bone my way to Jesus. <laughs> right. Well, not Jesus at that point, but yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> so anyway, he was, he was really infamous as one of the first Western authors to bring sexual magic in with Tantra. Mm-hmm. So the the OTO and Tantra kind of got combined in this in this one fell swoop. So he had a disciple named Kenneth Grant who said that the revival of tantric elements in the Book of the Law may be evidence of a positive move on the part of Crowley to forge a link between Western and Oriental systems of magic. So it was kind of like he was trying to bring the two together, but he was he was kind of jacking up Tantra while trying to yeah. bring it in. He was he was kind of just gentrifying tra- Tantra to make it work with his current ideas of it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people don't think he really understood it, or at least he had a view colored by the biases of Orientalist England yeah. in, in the early 20th century, which was not favorable to a certain extent. No, It was still just kind of a colonizing game at that point. And, uh, well, I mean, not colonizing, but keeping track of what they'd already colonized, I yeah. guess. And a lot of authors have speculated about this because he they don't really know what his involvement in the tantric practices were while he was in India. Mm-hmm. The most linked account of him really being involved in any of this um, were actually written by an author after he was already, already after he already had this reputation in England as a as a pervert a drug fiend and a black magician yeah so there's a bias here a little bit yeah but she asserted that a man who called himself 666 wore a ceremonial robe had a pentacle a, a wand a sword and a cup engaged in the most exclusive tantric rites so it sounds kind of like his Mexico costume. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's, that's <laughs> yeah, a link back that's... to a previous episode where he somehow made himself invisible, but people just didn't want to talk to him more than anything else. I wouldn't talk so to he, that person. He no. had a wand, a sword, a cup, a crown. What else? I didn't say a, crow, a, a crown. He had a ceremonial oh. robe, a pentacle, Oh. which I'm not totally certain that that is. Uh-huh. I'm assuming it's something like a monocle, but... <laughs> but more like, sides? But like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but like with, with five sides. I don't really know. Um, a wand, a sword, and a cup. I assumed crown just because of the Mexico costume. Right, he lost his crown somewhere over the Pacific. Oh, okay, but, gotcha. So 
that they kind of assess that he he frequently either like misunderstands it or just reinterprets it for his own purpose mm-hmm. as far as what Tantra was. He does have a, he does have seem to have like an understanding of the seven chakra system. Yeah. But he added some lower chakras. Oh. Some yeah. lower chakras. <laughs> yeah, he he actually added some lower chakras in the regions of the anus, the prostate gland and the base of the penis. Huh. The important right. ones that apparently they left out for thousands of the years. The dude bit ones, yeah. Right, exactly. Obviously. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of, with what he had done so far, this was kind of the mantra of the lemma. With, yeah. With everything that had gone on at this point. I will work the work of wickedness. I will kill my heart. I will be loud and adulterous. I will be covered with jewels and rich garments. I will be shameless before all men. I will, for token thereof, will freely prostitute my body to the lusts of each and every living creature that shall desire it. I claim the mystery of mysteries, Babylon the Great, and the number 156, and the robe of the woman of whoredoms, and the cup of abominations. Huh. I'm less behind Crowley than I was in previous episode. Yeah, he he, he kind of goes <laughs> he all over the off. place with that. Yeah. yeah, you're really supportive of him for just a minute, and then you're just like, now hold on just a second here. You kind of sound like a Gryffindor, and now you're all into <laughs> weird shit. Right. True. Well, and that the the Babylon the Great thing. That's mm-hmm. we kind of get into that here in a minute, a little bit deeper into it. But Babylon the Great is basically this token earthly woman that represents this god, which is the number one five six, which in numerology means something that I don't understand enough. Yeah. But uh, he actually, yeah, there were several Babylon the Greats because it was just kind of his his top lady at the time, or whatever the case might be. <laughs> yeah. He but, threw threw a baby baby Horus over for old Babylon. Right. <sighs> Poor Horus. <laughs> okay, so it was really fortunate for him that he actually managed to get the position that he did with the OTO, because about that time, the money he had gotten from his dad, or that he inherited when his dad died, kind of ran out. Mm-hmm. He really had no income aside from donations to the OTO. So he wasn't really able to afford to sue all the papers that were writing stories about him all the time for libel. So they had kind of a privilege there where they could just say whatever they wanted to about this guy. And he couldn't, he had nothing money to sue them. Yeah. So that wasn't really a great thing at the time. He, this is actually about the same time too, that he had actually spoken in support of Germany during world war one. What the fuck? Yikes. So he claims in his autobiography that those speeches were actually done at the request of British intelligence to taint Germany by association with him. Oh, so the thing is, I kind of could believe that. Well, and he honestly, he knew a bunch of different, like high, high ranking British officers. Yeah. So like Ian Fleming that wrote all the James Bond Uh books, he like, they were buddies. Yeah. So there's every chance that the government actually did want him involved. They're like, hey, you know how everybody fucking hates you? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let me help you out. Yeah, they're like, you want to go talk about Germany and how cool it is? He's like, I hate Germany. They're like, yeah, but like... Everybody you, hates it, you. But if you say it, it's like, <laughs> oh, I'm getting you now. <laughs> yeah, let me go do that. And uh, so it was actually around this time, too, where he was kind of running out of money. He didn't have anything really left uh, in 1920, but he the last little bit of his money, he actually purchased the most famous house that he's ever been in, which was the Abbey of Thelema, mm-hmm. which was in uh, Cephalo, Sicily. And at the time, he was battling a heroin addiction because he'd been prescribed it as an asthma medication because, you know, 1920. <laughs> <laughs> and That sounds uh, like a good idea. Right. Yeah. 
But there were just all kinds of reports of, like, drug use and public fornication at this place. I mean, people just constantly boning in the yard or whatever. Jesus. That was just how this place was. Yeah. Because it was it was an abbey of hedonism. That was the mm-hmm. whole idea. And so basically it was, like, this small single-story house uh, that they used as a temple and a spiritual center. And it was run together with his disciple, Leah Hersig, who was his Babylon, or Scarlet Woman is the other term that he used okay. to describe her. And she had taken the name uh, Alastrael. Which is the womb, the womb or grail of God? Oh, all right. Yep. So, kind of doubling back here, uh, Leah was interesting in and of herself because she was kind of the first Babylon of record. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we don't would, know what happened to his wife. We still don't really know what happened to Edith. No, okay. Edith, Edith decided to stay home and mourn the loss of their child while he went around and banged his way across the across the Continents. globe. Apparently, yeah. So. But he kind of went to even further extremes of transgression while he was at the Abbey. So he claims to have transcended all material distinctions and shattered the boundary between the pure and impure, such that even the most defiling substances, including human instrument, became for him the pure body of God. Ew. So, Leah. Okay. Dear sweet Leah, Uh our our Babylon, uh, her excrement became the Thelemic host in the Gnostic Mass. No. Wait, no. What? Wait, what? Shelby, no. We we shit on Sundays. Uh... Leah shit, specifically. Yeah, so... No. What the... So, no. have, you, have you ever been to a Catholic Mass before? Are you no. familiar with Catholic? We okay. do it at... We at the host at uh, the Lutheran Church, too. Right, it's it's the whole body of Christ thing. Yeah. The bread and the wine. No, yeah, the bread. Yeah. yeah, so that was poop. No. That was, that was Leah's shit. Yeah. What? That's what they were into. What? How is he not throwing up after that? Maybe he did. But that's, that's another like bodily fluid. That's like two girls, one cup thing. It's a lot like that. Oh, no. But, but in the 20s, and everybody's really into it and not being paid for That well, makes me want so. to throw up. I get that. Well, you're not going to like this either. Then. Oh, no. So this is a quote um, about her, basically, that he had written at one point or another. Mm-hmm. Um my mouth burned, my throat choked, my belly retched, and my blood fled whither who knows. She stood above in hideous contempt. She ate all of the body of God, and with her soul's compulsion made me eat. My teeth grew rotten, my tongue ulcered, raw was my throat, spasm torn my belly, and all my doubt of that which uh, of that which to her teeth was moonlight, to her tongue ambrosia, to her throat nectar, and in her belly the one God. Ugh. That is a quote, a beautifully written quote. About eating this lady's poop. Oh, God. No. No. Dang it, Shelby. Sorry if I ruined it for you. But... Uh, my stomach actually feels, like, bad right now. I'm, I'm sorry. It's, it's actually a little bit better after this. The, well, that's good. The, the eating shit part went down a weird path, I know. Uh, yeah. It seemed important to note. I, think I it mean, does. it is. Yes. So, the ultimate goal that Crowley sought through this sexual magic was a lot more than just material wealth or mortal power. He he wanted these moments more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Like we all do. I mean, it's, yeah. it's sex. It's all about moments. But he believed that he could achieve a supreme spiritual power, which was the power to conceive a divine child. Okay. Which Leah is obviously directly involved with because, you know... Womb of womb of God, or yeah, the right. of like a Messiah, basically. Right, that's that's the goal here. Just a godlike okay. being who could transcend the mortal, the moral failings of the body born of a mere woman. 
So we're getting kind of into Jesus territory here all yeah. of a sudden. Like we've skedaddled back into Christianity from wherever the hell we were the entire time before this. Hmm. So the goal of creating this was basically just to to live up to that tradition. I mm-hmm. mean, the, the tradition of any real religion to a certain extent. And he drew kind of the inspiration from that from like Mesopotamia and India and the Arab world and everywhere else. It, it all kind of came together to form this, okay, so we need a Christ child, basically. Yeah. Um, like all good religions have. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm going to keep, keep quoting this guy because he actually was a good writer. Uh, the great idea of magicians in all times to obtain a, a messiah by some ad- adaptation of the sexual process. In Assyria, they tried incest. Greeks and Syrians, mostly bestiality. The Mohammedans tried homosexuality. Medieval philosophers tried to produce a homunculi by making chemical experiments with semen. But the root idea is that any form of procreation other than normal is likely to produce results of a magical character. Oh. Other than normal? So any deviant act, basically. Okay. Aside Hmm. from the homosexuality, which we... Well, and and masturbation, for that matter, which neither one really work in that regard. No. Right. But obviously some of the... I mean, they said the medieval philosophers were trying to produce homunculi by making chemical experiments with semen, so... Mm -hmm. Obviously that's attainable without a friend. Yeah. But, yeah, it... This guy's Yikes. all over the place, too. That's the issue. He has so many different ideas, but he never really commits to anything. Like, uh-huh. I'm going to make this Christ child. Oh, no, wait. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this other church over here. Oh, no, wait. i go back to Paris for a minute. Like, he's all over the place. Oh, Jesus. But at that point, he the, he's still at the Abbey at this point, and, and he's working with the idea of this divine child and performing all these rituals and everything else to kind of mm-hmm. ramp up to the idea of creating this homunculus or this... Messiah, whatever he has in mind. Yeah. And so Leah, at one point, wrote in her diary, I dedicate my holy, myself wholly to the great work. I will work for wickedness. I will kill my heart. I will shamelessly, I will be shameless before all men. I will freely prostitute myself to all creatures. So she's adapted that entire weird thing that we went over earlier. Holy fuck. Yeah, so it's starting to feel a little culty. <sighs> maybe, maybe a little at this yeah, point. Yeah, a little bit. So a typical day... At, at Crowley's Abbey was daily worship of the sun, mm-hmm. which was kind of taken from the Egyptian tradition. He was It was a lot like um, the worship of Autumn by the pharaoh Akhenaten. I'm sure you've read uh-huh. a little bit of Egyptian stuff. So. so that was kind of pulled from there. But then they had to then study Crowley's own writings on magic theory because, you know, cult. Yeah. Um, they did a lot of yoga, ritual practices, and just chores. And I don't really know at the time how many people were actually there. I know mm-hmm. there were at least five or six of them at the time, because there's several characters kind of mentioned in this. But the the entire object of this was to devote themselves to the great work of discovering and manifesting their true will. So we're back to do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. Yeah. That whole thing. So this is really the only other person that's named at this point in time. Uh, so Leah Hersig and another woman disciple named Nanette Shumway uh, were both pregnant with one of his kids while they were at the villa. Mm-hmm. So Leah had a miscarriage, and this is supposed to be our Messiah that got miscarried yeah. at this point. Uh, Nanette gave birth to a daughter on December 11, 1920, who they named Astarte Lulu Panthea. Lulu? I know, it was a weird middle name. I, out of the rest <laughs> of it, I'm like, well, that didn't fit. So that, that child actually in 1931 ended up moving to America and starting a life with this other woman's sister. Um, but... Probably because Crowley wanted to like bang his own daughter or something. There's always that chance, because she would have been 11 at that point. Yeah. That's that's about banging age for him, it seems like. Ugh. Um, Ugh. 
So whenever she had come to the Abbey, uh, Leah already actually had a two-year-old son, and Nanette had a three-year-old son. They actually had real names. It was Hansi and Howard. Uh, they called them at the at the Abbey Dionysus and Hermes. Aww. Because you can't give them, like, you know, their own names. That, yeah. This is, this That'd is, be ridiculous. Right. This is your cult name now. I'd honestly say you. it's probably better than Hansi. Right. Valid. So, obviously, you get two pregnant, two women pregnant with the child of this one person, there might be some jealousy. Can yeah. Can we imagine that? Possibly. So, Leah suspected Nanette of magical foul play, and Crowley ended up finding evidence of that in her magical diary, which was a rule that everybody that was there had to keep a diary. What the fuck? Right, so you, I want you to write this down so that whenever I need to prove something, I can go to your diary and prove that you had done this. Yeah. Huh. And uh, and it, it turns out that whatever she had done was kind of against the rules or whatever the case might be. So at that point, Crowley actually banished Annette from the Abbey, but she had to come back to take care of the kids. Oh. Like, you can't live here anymore. You can't take part of the rituals, but please come back here and take care of these children. <laughs> and she did. Because I'm not doing it. The fuck? Yeah, so she continued doing that. Right. So this is about the time where things go south for Crowley. Mm-hmm. Um, because people have just been banging themselves to death on the front lawn or whatever for Literally so long to at this death. point. And there have been so many problems with this place. But then this guy, this 23-year-old, uh, he's an Oxford undergraduate. His name was either Raul, Raul Loveday or Frederick Charles Loveday. They don't really seem to know for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually ended up dying at the Abbey while taking part in one of the rituals. Ooh. And that wouldn't have been that big of a deal, except for his wife, uh, whose name was Betty May, possibly Betty May Loveday, I'm not really certain. That's a horrible name. It's not great. <laughs> uh, she blamed his death on the consumption, or the ritualistic consumption, of the blood of a sacrificed cat. But it turns out, Crowley had actually told them earlier in the day, like, hey, you see that stream over there? Yeah, don't drink <laughs> out of that stream. And then he drank out of the stream. Oh, so it's way no. more likely that he actually died because he had acute, acute enteric fever. Contracted by drinking from a mountain spring, which Crowley had already warned him about. Hmm. So the dude covered his bases really well. It's yeah. like, hey, don't drink out of that stream. Hey, what did I just say? <laughs> CYA, man. Right. And everybody's like, oh, it's obviously this cat's blood. No, he drank out of the stream. I'm sure it was a very healthy cat that's that was what... raised specifically for that purpose. Yeah. Right. It's like, no, yeah. that's the stream we dispose of the old host in, so don't drink out of that stream. <laughs> Bring it back around. <laughs> so... Again, like I said, this is where he starts kind of falling apart, though, because Betty refused to admit that that's what happened. Mm-hmm. So she returned to London and ended up giving an interview to the Sunday Express, which included her story and a bunch of other ongoing attacks on Crowley. Yeah. And because of that, I mean, about all the rumors of all the weird, dark shit happening at this place, uh, Benito Mussolini's government actually demanded they leave the country in 1923. Hmm. So he got booted out of his own place at that point because they he was a huge liability to them at that yeah. point. Like if you've done enough piss off Benito Mussolini enough you need to get he, the fuck out. Yeah, enough <laughs> that he's like, hey, please leave my country. At least he's asking. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it was one of those things where they were kind of forcing their hand a little bit, but it was like we're not telling you you have to leave, but I'll if you don't, you. we're going to burn this motherfucker to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> we still probably might need to even after you leave, honestly. Yeah. Well, and that's the, the Abbey of Thelema actually still stands to this day. Like, oh, it is really? still there. But as like basically as soon as he left, as far as I understand, as soon as he left, the, the local residents like went over and like painted over all the murals in there. Yeah. And people have been, I mean, obviously there's been some 
there's been some weather damage. There's been some actual vandalism and stuff. But a lot of people go in there and like try to sand down to see the murals. And you can see a few of them. There are some pictures online where you can see parts of the murals. Mm-hmm. And then there's also old pictures where you can see the entire thing. And they're they're pretty fucking nuts. Huh. They're cool, but it's it's just crazy. So at this point, we've kind of reached almost the end of what was Aleister Crowley. I mean, he didn't have as much of a following anymore because his following was kind of disbanded when he had to leave Thelema. Yeah. Um, people so, are dying left and, and right. People are yeah. dying left and right, and somebody got pregnant and they booted him out, and then they just took the kids and left, I assume. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the next 15 years, he was just traveling around Europe and just no one liked him. Yeah. Everybody knew this guy, and no one liked him. Aww, so he that's was sad. So, but also he's Alistair Crowley, right. so like fuck him. At so, the right, same as, time. as bad as I could feel for him, but like it, he was like constantly in the tabloids. I mean, you can imagine again, like your your Kardashian experience or whatever. Yes, like, Crowley was a he was a celebrity. I mean, he was a big deal at the time, especially mm-hmm. after somebody died and got reported as having died because yeah. that hadn't really happened yet. People had died, but no one ever heard about it. Hmm. <sighs> but he ended up, you know, he was he was broke anyway. He did sue some of the the papers that had written about him for libel, and he won a few cases, lost a few cases, mm-hmm. and and wasn't really, you know, financially he was he was boned. He knew it. Yeah, and I like had, that you said boned. Well, yeah, he had he had a lot of experience with that term. Yes. So, uh, nineteen thirty five, he declared bankruptcy. So yeah. after after whittling down his family fortune for fifty years, he finally went completely broke. Hmm. And uh, he ended up actually offering his services to naval intelligence, British naval intelligence, during World War II, which again makes me think that the rumors about him speaking on behalf mm-hmm. of Germany were correct. Probably. Because how else? Who, yeah. How would he know who to call? But he was he was actually really good friends with uh, the actual intelligence officers, Ian Fleming, who was the, the James Bond author, and mm-hmm. Dennis Wheatley, who I know I've heard his name. But I don't know where... Yeah. But he was he was an espionage agent in the in that time period from okay. what I understand of him. Um, and if that's incorrect, I'm sorry. I, I that was a very cursory Google that I did because I was like, I know who Ian Fleming is. Who's this guy? And then I moved on to something else. So then, after all this time and all this sex and all this getting kicked out of countries and having to having to deal with people throwing shit at you in the street, I assume. He he might like that, though. Well, that's fair, actually. He never really seemed like he was into pain. They never really brought that part. Yeah. Hmm. That's surprising. I'm a little shocked, too. So, 1947, he was 72 years old. He dies of bronchitis. Of all of the ways (laughs) this man could have died. Uh, The cat blood? Nope. Right. STD? Nope. Right. I drank the cat blood, too. I'm fine. He ate someone's (laughs) shit. He ate a lot of her shit. Right. I was trying not to talk about that again. Ugh. I'm still getting over my stomach's still getting over it. I'm I'm really sorry. <laughs> but anyway, so uh again, we're we're at the end of this thing at this point, but twelve people were at his funeral. Uh the tabloids described Twelve it, total people. Twelve total people. Oh. Like he had more followers than that at one point. So yeah. I don't know who these twelve were. Yeah. But uh the tabloids described it as a black mass. Dicks. <laughs> yeah. Because obviously it's like, let's just take one last jab at this guy. After he's 72 years old. Yeah. Like, anyway, but it, what I'll say of this is that he, he is a pop culture icon now. I mean, he mm-hmm. has become this thing that was way bigger than I think he ever expected to be. Yeah. So you get into, the, you know, the 60s and the 70s where people started embracing this, like, symbol of rebellion and hidden wisdom. This whole, the the whole third eye thing and everything else that mm-hmm. kind of came out of that. 
and he actually was on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band album, the the Beatles album. Like he was on the oh, cover really? of that. Yeah, actually, I, huh. I thought I had a copy of it around here. I think Cam has it actually. But yeah, he was on the cover of that. He was a huge influence on the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, I've watched the movies that uh, there was a filmmaker named Kenneth Anger. Are you familiar with him at all? Uh-uh. So Kenneth Anger was actually a, still a follower of Thelema in like the 60s, late 60s, early 70s. So there were two movies that I can think of that he did, and I know there was probably more than that. But one of them was called Lucifer Rising. The other one was called The Invocation of My Demon Brother. Um, that sounds intense. They're fucking nuts. <laughs> Loose for Rising, if I'm remembering it correctly, was basically just multiple shots of, like, the Sphinx, and then lightning striking, and then titties. And it just repeated that <laughs> for, like, 40 minutes. It's nuts. But the reason I watched it in the first place is because Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin actually recorded the soundtrack for it. Oh, shit. Not only did he record the soundtrack for it, he recorded it with uh, Bobby, Manson family Bobby. Do you remember oh. Yeah, dude was in prison, and Jimmy Page was sending him recordings so he could so he could record the other parts of this. What the, the fuck? Nuts. Jimmy Page is a crazy guy. He is a crazy guy. Actually, he he ended up buying Bolskin House at one point yep. too, but he didn't really stay there very much. He actually like he he ended up kind of giving it to a friend, or the friend just kind of stayed there. Yeah. But there were so many people that were coming by and bothering them because Crowley. Mm-hmm. That they he basically opted to sell it, and I think it's actually been burned down now. Last the last so pictures sad. I saw that it, it was it had been burned. So that was that was the one with Jimmy Page on it was Lucifer Rising. The Invocation of My Demon Brother actually the soundtrack was Mick Jagger from the Rolling Stones. What? It's not like good Mick Jagger. Oh. It's like it's like Mick Jagger hit a note on a keyboard and played with the pitch bin wheel <laughs> for like thirty minutes. <laughs> Oh, God. And it's not... I actually have them both downloaded if you guys want to watch them at some point. Okay. If you, if you want to watch five seconds of each one of them, you pretty much get the whole movie. Cool. So I don't think there's any dialogue in either one of them. I, I happen remember. to love the Sphinx. I love light and striking. And I'm not a, a, a opposed to boobies. So, you know. I'm really happy to hear that because that's all that's in that movie. <laughs> if you hated any one of those three things, you're going to hate a third of this movie. So uh, David Bowie was a huge fan of him as well. He actually had a lot of different songs and stuff where Crowley's teachings were kind of referenced and he like talked about him in interviews a lot. That's so weird. It, but also doesn't surprise yeah, me. Yeah, that like, doesn't at surprise all. me at all from David Bowie. It, it doesn't really. I mean there are a lot of occult things that are that, that are notable in his music, but you don't immediately associate him with something like that. But then yeah. but then you're also like but you're also into tantric sex, right? So like is Sting yeah. really into Aleister Crowley? I there's always that possibility. He's actually probably mad at him for not getting Tantra right. Oh, probably. If I had to guess. But So then you come to the really big one who actually put his name in a song. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne wrote a song called Mr. Crowley, and I'm sure you've <laughs> heard yes. that at least yeah. once. That association basically made it really, really easy to go, hey, you know that rock and roll? Devil music, we told you. For sure devil we've, music. We've been telling you for 30 years <laughs> that rock and roll is the devil's music, and Ozzy's just like, I just like the guy. I, mean, <laughs> I think he's really interesting. Right. It's not that big of a deal. but So th- this guy has had all these different influences. I mean, the world over. It's insane uh-huh. how big he became just because of mostly just deviant shit. Mm-hmm. And also being a big dickhead about almost everything. Yes. But, specifically Germany during World War One. Well, Germany and like, you know, trying to evict... The uh, the OTO from their from their headquarters or whatever. Yeah, and, you know, there were a bunch of different things, but he he became kind of the symbol of magic itself. 
in my mind. And I think it's fascinating the way that it went down because obviously there were a lot of people practicing these Eastern traditions. Yeah. But he's the one that wrote 40 books on it or whatever. 40 is an overstatement, but not by a whole lot. I think he wrote like 27 books. That's a lot of books. That's so many books. That is several books. (laughs) I don't think one of them was paperback. Like, it's it's nuts. I bet you could buy them now. Do what? I bet you could buy them in paperback now. Well, now, yeah, at the time. I mean, I, I don't think they were like small books is what I'm saying. Oh, gotcha. I think he just stayed up really late at night and like talked to Iowas and wrote. Like, that was basically his entire life was just talking to his God doing friends. Doing drugs. Doing, talking to his God, God doing drugs and talking to his God friends and writing it down or whatever. He didn't have a lot of other friends, so I guess I understand. He's. I will say he has loved a lot more now than he was then. Yeah. Especially in the, you know, the 60s, 70s into you know now really but obviously he went from being this infamous person who i I think there was actually a quote from one of the newspapers whenever they were still able to sue him free or just libel him free freely Mm -hmm. that he was a fellow we'd love to hang oh (laughs) that's so sad but he thrived on it i I know he he loved being pushed against like that's what he wanted more than anything else he wanted people to look at him and go this guy, we don't want to deal with this guy. And he's like, great, I didn't want to deal with you either. Like, Boom. that's that's his whole life, pretty much. But if you don't hate me, maybe down should, for Pound Town. Maybe, maybe we should have some sex. <laughs> down for Pound Town. <laughs> Love it. I am sad that I didn't get so much into what the elixir was. But the fluids. That, yeah, that was basically just mixing all of them together. Oh. So you've, you've got your shit, you got your piss, there's some there's some cum in the mix, there's some blood. Shelby, stop it. I don't need to talk about this protein shake anymore. That's kind of why I cut it, actually. And they, make, and they mix it up it. and... They just... put it in a little blender bottle and it's yeah. like... Right. I just know how it goes, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure. Pretty sure. Mm. All right, well, Shelby, that was amazing. Thank you for that two-part episode. I'm so happy to oblige. And now everyone knows about sex magic, so. The magic of sex magic. I would say don't try this at home, but. Everybody should try it at home. Go ahead and try this at home. Why yeah. not? Just don't, don't, don't eat that poop, man. Just well, yeah, don't, don't do that. that. Yeah, don't eat poop. And if you do, don't sue us, please. Yes. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, guys, if you have any questions, comments, or honestly concerns after this episode, <laughs> Let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, or email us at queencitycreeps at gmail.com. And we will hopefully hear from you soon. Thanks. Bye.